this summer we, uh, or I guess it was just a couple months ago, we had some wildfires. Does anybody remember that? We've had a lot of things happen between now and uh, then, but uh, for a little while that dominated pretty much everybody's thinking. The smoke rolled in, the fires were raging out of control. We've had wildfires pretty much every year. Uh, but it was so dry and the wind was so strong that they were spreading very quickly. Several people had to evacuate. Places burned down. Smoke filled this area. People were, were leaving. My family decided we were going to get out of town for a little while because the smoke was so bad. We'd go up into Washington where my parents were and we'd just hole up with them. They were at a higher elevation and we would get away from the smoke. And we left here and by the time we got up there, the smoke had gotten there. And it was barely any better there than it was here. It just highlighted how destructive fires can be under the right conditions, right? Well, this morning we're looking at something else that has a destructive power like that. In the book of James, we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to see that the power of the tongue can do a lot of damage. In James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it reads like this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The way that he begins chapter 3 here is the kind of verse that for pastors really pulls you up short and makes you pause. Because he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And it feels really weird to stand up to teach, to say... Not many people should be teachers. But I have seen time and time again, while I was in college, people who wanted to go into the ministry, while I was in seminary, people who wanted to go into the ministry. I went to a couple of church planters conferences and saw young men who were wanting to go into the ministry. And time after time, again, I was seeing young men that wanted to go into the ministry because they wanted to preach. They wanted to go into the ministry because they had things to say and people should hear what they had to say. And I just look at that and go, oh guys, preaching is such a small part of what we do. But when you stand up in front of people, the judgments are much stricter. When you get up and you teach, the the judgments are stricter. People hold you to a different standard. They say, are you practicing what you preach? 
So if you go to somebody and they're teaching about finances, then you want to go, are you practicing these things or just telling me these things? Are your finances in order? Do you have savings? Are you making money? Are you practicing these things? If you go to a doctor or somebody who's going to uh, instruct you about your health, you're wondering, are they practicing these things? Are you doing what you say? And when you get up to teach the Word of God, people evaluate the same way. They hold you to that standard. But beyond that, Beyond just the appearance and judgments of people seeing if you are hypocritical in the things that you say, beyond that, there is the teaching, the influence, the leading of people that has greater consequences. Because when you're teaching people and you lead them astray, I think I don't have to remind many of you what Jesus says about that. If you lead these little ones astray, it would be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and be thrown into the sea. These kinds of passages pull you up short and say, wait a second, I want to be careful about this. But I want to say, before you check out and go, okay, this is a message for preachers, who are teachers? When are you a teacher? Anytime that you are seeking to influence somebody or instruct somebody, you are a teacher. If you're a parent, you're a teacher. Your children are watching you. They're watching and evaluating. Are they doing what they're saying? Or are they just telling me? If you're instructing somebody or trying to influence somebody or telling somebody what they should think, you're teaching. In that moment, you are placing yourself in a position where you are teaching. In fact, I see a lot of teachers anymore on social media. Lots of people. It's amazing to me how my Facebook friends can be experts in so many things. You used to have to get a degree to be able to teach. Now everybody has the same platform. This is how you should manage your money. This is how you should eat. This is how you should manage your health. This is how you should manage your time. This is how you should manage your sleep. This is what you should think about politics. Lots of instruction. Lots of teaching. Be careful. Not many of you should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. When we profess to teach, we're held to a higher standard and the consequences are greater. If I, if I mismanage my finances, that affects me. If I'm a parent, and I have a family, and I mismanage my finances, it affects my family. If I'm a pastor, and I mismanage the finances, it affects a whole church. 
The more prominent your place of leadership, the more dire the consequences when you don't follow through in the way that you should. The same thing is true for teaching. The more prominent your position of teaching, the more, uh, more place you have to instruct people and lead people and guide people, the more dire the consequences. We don't want to lead people astray and send them in the wrong direction. Because here's the challenge. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. There's a reassurance for you. You know why you shouldn't teach? Because you're held to a higher standard and everybody falls on their face from time to time. But when you're a teacher and you fall on your face, that's public. When you're a teacher, when you're up in a place of prominence and uh, a place over other people and you're teaching them, even if you slip up over here in a place that seems disconnected, that's important. Everybody knows about that. Everybody is talking about the hypocrisy of it. It influences whether or not people will follow you. I, I have seen uh, pastors who have done damage in teaching things that they should not teach, and they have led people astray in that way. I have seen other pastors who have done fine in their teaching, but their lives were not in order, and because of that, it caused people to go astray. Not because of their words necessarily, but because of their actions that went along with it. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we have control over our speech, we've got control over our whole body. That seems weird to me. If we have control over our speech, over our tongues, over the things that we say, we have control over our whole body. Have you ever heard, ever heard somebody say, your mouth is going to get in, you into trouble someday? There's something about the way that we use our mouth that directs the way that we will go. Our speech precede our actions most of the time. The way that we talk about things will lead us to do those things. It's not independent of our actions. It's not as if we can say some things and do other things and those are two completely independent things. The way we talk about stuff, the words that we use, work in harmony with the things that we do. And so we need to be careful about the way that we use the words, the things that we say, the way that we say them. Because by doing that, it gets everything else in line. Everything else follows suit. When we can control the tongue, we can control the whole body. I've, I've heard uh, people talk about, and I've noticed it in my own life, that when you get self-control and discipline in one area of your life, it translates into self-discipline and self-control in another area of your life too. When you start working on being healthier in your physical uh, health, 
your financial health often goes the same way. Spiritual disciplines beget healthy lifestyles. It's strange how those things are interconnected, but the same thing is true with the way that our tongue is, the way that we get control over our tongue. It, it leads us the whole rest of our lives, the whole rest of our body to follow suit. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. And then he gives us some examples. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Maybe you've spent some time around horses. My, my sister has some horses. We visit her about once a year. A horse is a very large animal. They're very powerful. I don't think about that because it's just a horse. But when you stand next to a horse and you push on a horse, if the horse doesn't want to move, the horse doesn't move. And if you sit on the horse because you want to sit on a horse, but the horse doesn't want you to sit on it, you're not going to sit on the horse. They are big, strong animals. They can be dangerous animals if you're not careful around a horse. But if you put a bridle in its mouth, a bit in its mouth, and you attach a rope, you can lead that horse wherever you want. The whole body of the horse follows the muzzle, the mouth of the horse. In the same way, our bodies follow our mouths. He goes on and says, look at the ships also. They are, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. You have a great big boat, a great big ship with powerful winds that are making that ship go. And the keel of the boat knifes through the water and keeps it going in a fairly straight line so that you can just use this little rudder and you adjust it and the whole thing turns. Depending on the size of the ship, it can turn quickly or more slowly, but just one little turn of the rudder and the whole thing, just that little bit of a resistance on one side, and the whole thing turns that way. We've done some canoeing as a family, and you, you paddle, and the canoe is going like this, and it starts to, to turn one way, and you just dip that oar in the water to use it like a rudder, and it straightens it right out. Or you need to go that way, and so you just put the, rudder, uh, put the paddle in the water, use it like a rudder, turns the whole boat. If we change the way that we use our words, it can change the direction of our entire lives. It's the power of the tongue. So the tongue also is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue can, can cause uh, great change in us if we just change our vocabulary, if we just change the phrases that we use, if we just change the things that we talk about, it can create an enormous change in us and in the direction of our lives. How great, he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. 
How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We saw that this summer as the fires swept through the whole northwest. Just a small flame, but when the wind picks up and the conditions are right, it spreads really quickly and causes a lot of destruction. I, I don't think I've probably told most of you about the time that I almost burned down Lincoln City. We were at, a, at the beach as a family. We were going to have uh, marshmallows, roast marshmallows and, and things at the beach because it seemed like a good thing to do. And the wind was blowing fairly strong. And my wife said to me, can we build a fire? It's blowing pretty hard. I was a Boy Scout. I can build a fire in anything. I can build a fire in the pouring rain. I can build a fire in the wind. I can build a fire. It doesn't matter. I, yes, I can build a fire. I did not think about whether or not it was wise to build a fire, just whether or not I could build the fire. And so I took a large cardboard box and I set up the wood inside the box. And the, the, wood, the box served as a shelter so that I could get the tinder lit and the flames began and the wood was nice and dry and it, everything was going spectacularly. There it goes, it's, un, it's flame. Ha, see, I did it. And then the wind picked up. And my box caught on flame, uh, caught on fire. And the flames went really high. And the bottom of the box burned before the top of the box burned. And so the box fell apart. And parts of box are blowing with these strong winds toward grass in late summer with strong winds. And I'm just imagining that that box is going to hit that grass and that grass is going to catch on fire and all of Lincoln City is going to burn to the ground and it's going to be my fault because that stupid Boy Scout knew how to build a fire in the wind. Fortunately, I was able to get to the box before it got to the grass and stomp it out. But the fear in me at that moment seeing the power of the wind, that it just takes a small amount of fire and how quickly that could rage out of control. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The, the tongue, it says in, at the beginning of verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. We can say things in a careless or rash moment that sets into motion an enormous amount of destruction. And once it goes, how are you going to get that back? How are you going to stop that? The damage is done. You may have been in a relationship or a friendship or in a, with a family member before where you've had a really good uh, relationship with them and then in that moment of frustration or something, the words come out and you can't get those back. And you were riled up and so it came out and then you look at what happened afterwards and you go, I'm really sorry, but it's too late. The words have inflicted the damage. 
the fire is raging. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The devil wants to take our words and use them to spark division and controversy. What does it mean that they're set on fire by hell? I I think it's like having a hell-like accent. We have hellish-like language. Our purposes in that moment when we say those things are not aligned with the glory of God and the holiness of God, but are instead aligned with the purposes of the devil in creating destruction and division. And on the one hand, it just takes a small spark, but then the winds pick up and away it goes. And sometimes we feel like we didn't really do anything. We just, it was just some things that we said. But we're adding fuel to the fire. It's not my fault. I just dumped some gasoline on the library. But I didn't strike a match. The whole thing burned down. You added fuel to the fire. The words came out and they caused the destruction. And a careless, I've been talking about it as in terms of a careless word or a rash word. That in the spur of the moment we say these things, how much worse when they're intentional. When you've been stewing about it and thinking about it and you've chosen your words carefully and they come out and they come in such a way that they sting. The kind of zinger that on the um, romantic comedies and the TV shows, that, that it's the kind of snappy comeback that you wish that you had. Oh, you see that and oh yeah, that's really funny when you see it on TV and they come back with that snappy comeback at just the right time. And you nailed it. In real life, in real time, you came up with it. They said something, bam, you got them. But then you recognize that in real life, the damage that's inflicted with those words is not as funny as it is on TV. These are real people in real relationships. We're causing real damage. In fact, in James chapter 1, in verse 26... He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. How much damage can be done. Looking back, there are so many things that I regret having said. And so many times I'm thankful I kept my mouth shut. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. 
It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I hear people talk about it. Well, I'm just a straight shooter. I just tell it as it is. I'm unfiltered. As if these things are virtues. That's not wisdom. That's not glory. Gentleness, patience, faithfulness, compassion, love. These are the words of wisdom. And you know what I'm seeing? All around is lots and lots of restless evil full of deadly poison, untamed tongues. With these tongues we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. From the same mouth. We come and we worship God and we praise Him on Sunday mornings and then we go out and we curse people. What does that mean, we curse them? One commentator said it, it can be a blatant expression in a passionate surge of ill will. A blatant expression in a passionate surge of ill will. I'm seeing a lot of passionate surges of ill will lately. Passionate surges of ill will toward presidents. Passionate surges of ill will toward governors. Passionate surges of ill will toward people in leadership in, in every aspect. Passionate surges of ill will toward anybody who disagrees with me. And you're watching the destructive power of words. Things that people would never say to one another face to face. They have no problem saying behind the anonymity of a keyboard. And the distance of a screen. To people they don't know or people that they're not right in the same room with. So if that person was sitting right next to you, you certainly wouldn't say it in that tone, in all caps, with exclamation points. It would have come out a lot differently if you had to say it to their face. Then you take it one step further to the people that you don't know. And I blast them as if they are not created in the image of God. With our same tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We forget, because our passions arise within us, we forget that they are also made in the likeness of God. We disagree with them. We're frustrated. We're tired. We're irritated. And so we let them have it. Here's what Jesus says about this. 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. It seems as if James has heard these words from Jesus and he's just repackaging them and giving them to us again. From the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? That'd be unfortunate, wouldn't it? What if, you went to your, what if you went to your sink and you turned on the, the tap and you went to get a drink and sometimes you could drink the water because it was cool and fresh and good and sometimes it was salt water. It shouldn't be that way. It can't be that way. The source is either salty or it's good. And we fall on our faces all the time because no one can tame the tongue. And if that's the case, then what hope do we have? We have the Word of God. We have God's Word to us that as we read it, it transforms who we are. As we read it, it transforms how we think. As we read it, it transforms how we feel. Because we begin to understand the heart of God and how God thinks about these people who were created in His image. And we begin to see them with the eyes that God sees them. And when we see them in the way that God sees them, no longer do we attack them with destructive words, but instead we respond to them with words of compassion and grace and love. Because those are the words that come from our God and Heavenly Father. Our hope is that He has given us His word the one true word, His Son. That when we receive Him, transforms our lives. We repent of our sins and we believe that we accept Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And when we do that, we receive the Holy Spirit who, though we cannot tame our tongues, begins to remake us into the image of God. So that thing that we had no power to do ourselves, the taming of the tongue and setting a new course and direction for our lives, the work of the Holy Spirit within us does that. That is the hope that we have. 
that the Holy Spirit is at work within us and redirecting our lives, and it can begin with our tongues, with our mouths, with our words, with the way that we talk about people and the way that we talk about God. Because it can't be that it comes out in two different ways. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. We ought to be so careful about the way that we use our tongues the way that we use our words. And if we recognize that we have issues in this area, we need to repent of that. Ask the Lord to forgive us and to redeem our speech. There may be those of you like me who, thinking back, remember words that you have said that have caused damage that you cannot undo. We can ask for God's help in that too. Because like the fire that starts and when the wind picks up, it blows it out of control and we can't stop it, God can God can reverse the winds. God can bring the rains that put an end to the fire. God can bring the healing and the restoration that's needed for damage that's already been done. May he keep us from sin so that we will not inflict damage in the future and may may he restore the damage that's already been done. All for the sake of his glory that from the depths of our hearts only the words of his praise and glory would come forth. Let's ask him for that now. Lord God, there have been many times that we have used our tongues in ways that did not glorify you. words that we have said rashly and carelessly, words that we have said intentionally with malice and forethought. Lord, would you forgive us for the inappropriate use of words? Would you help us to be quick to listen and slow to speak? Would you open the door of the gospel that we might speak as we ought to speak, telling people of the hope that we have in Jesus, that those words seasoned with salt would have their impact, that we would walk with gentleness and compassion and love. Father, help us to see people in the way that you see them and to speak to them as if they are created in your image, because they are. 
And Lord, may we glorify you both directly here in this place and in our prayers and praises throughout the week and also indirectly in the way that we speak with one another and with those who are outside the church. And we ask for this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.